Thank you for joining us at 1001 Classic Short Stories and Tales. This week's episode, titled Washington's Glasses, details a moment in Commander George Washington's life in the trying years after the American Revolution when the officers in his army, who had not yet been paid for their services and sacrifice, were on the verge of mutiny. Washington's Glasses is one of those stories that few people have heard of, yet it deserves to be heard for it's a telling story of a great man. And now, Washington's Glasses. At the close of the Revolutionary War in America, a perilous moment in the life of the fledgling American Republic occurred as officers of the Continental Army met in Newburgh, New York, to discuss grievances and consider a possible insurrection against the rule of Congress. They were angry over the failure of Congress to honor its promises to the Army regarding salary, bounties, and life pensions. The officers had heard from Philadelphia that the American government was going broke and that they might not be compensated at all. And it was true. Congress had no money with which to reward them for their service. On March 10, 1783, an anonymous letter was circulated among the officers of General Washington's main camp at Newburgh. It addressed those complaints and called for an unauthorized meeting of officers to be held the next day to consider possible military solutions to the problems of the civilian government and its financial woes. General Washington stopped that meeting from happening by forbidding the officers to meet at the unauthorized meeting. Instead, he suggested that they meet a few days later, on March 15th, at the regular meeting of his officers. Meanwhile, another anonymous letter was circulated, this time suggesting Washington himself was sympathetic to the claims of the malcontent officers. Tempers were smoldering, and the army was threatening to march against Congress if necessary. And so, on March 15, 1783, Washington's officers gathered in a church building in Newburgh, effectively holding the fate of America in their hands. They were expecting a representative of George Washington to enter. The room was noisy, and the mood was foul. A hush suddenly fell over all the men in the room as a tall figure in uniform entered and strode toward the lectern. These men had learned to respect their commander through these past lean years of fighting, when all was in doubt. They stayed silent, but were glaring forward at him with resentful eyes. A death-like stillness filled the room. He began to speak. Gentlemen, by an anonymous summons, an attempt has been made to convene you together. How inconsistent with the rules of propriety, how unmilitary, and how subversive of all order and discipline. Let the good sense of the army decide. Thus much, gentlemen, I have thought it incumbent on me to observe to you, to show upon what principles I oppose the irregular and hasty meeting which was proposed to have been held on Tuesday last, and not because I wanted a disposition to give you every opportunity consistent with your own honor and the dignity of the army to make known your grievances. If my conduct heretofore has not evinced to you that I have been a faithful friend of the army, my declaration of it at this time would be equally unavailing and improper. But as I was among the first who embarked in the cause of our common country, as I have never left your side one moment but when called from you on public duty, as I have been the constant companion and witness of your distresses, and not among the last to feel and acknowledge your merits, 
as I have ever considered my own military reputation as inseparably connected with that of the army, as my heart has ever expanded with joy when I have heard its praises, and my indignation has arisen when the mouth of detraction has been opened against it, it can scarcely be supposed, at this late stage of the war, that I am indifferent to its interests. But how are they to be promoted? And at this point he must have held up the anonymous letter that had called them all to the first scheduled meeting. The way is plain, says the anonymous addresser. If war continues, remove into the unsettled country. There establish yourselves, and leave an ungrateful country to defend itself. But who are they to defend? Our wives, our children, our farms, and other property which we leave behind us. Or, in this state of hostile separation, are we to take the two first? The latter cannot be removed. To perish in a wilderness with hunger, cold, and nakedness? If peace takes place, never sheathe your swords, says he, until you have obtained full and ample justice. This dreadful alternative of either deserting our country in the extremest hour of her distress, or turning our arms against it, which here is the apparent object, unless Congress can be compelled into instant compliance, has something so shocking in it that humanity revolts at the idea. My God, what can this writer have in view by recommending such measures? Can he be a friend to the army? Can he be a friend to this country? Rather, is he not an insidious foe? Some emissary, perhaps from New York, plotting the ruin of both by sowing the seeds of discord and separation between the civil and military powers of the continent? And what a compliment does he pay to our understandings when he recommends measures in either alternative, impracticable in their nature? I cannot, in justice to my own belief, and what I have great reason to conceive is the intention of Congress, conclude this address without giving it as my decided opinion, that that honorable body entertain exalted sentiments of the services of the army, and, from a full conviction of its merits and sufferings, will do it complete justice, that their endeavors to discover and establish funds for this purpose have been unwearied and will not cease till they've succeeded. I have not a doubt. But like all other large bodies, where there is a variety of different interests to reconcile, their deliberations are slow. Why then should we distrust them? And in consequence of that distrust, adopt measures which may cast a shade over that glory which has been so justly acquired, and tarnish the reputation of an army which is celebrated through all Europe, for its fortitude and patriotism? And for what is this done? To bring the object we seek nearer? No, most certainly, in my opinion, it will cast it at a greater distance. For myself, and I take no merit in giving the assurance, being induced to it from principles of gratitude, veracity, and justice, a grateful sense of the confidence you have ever placed in me, a recollection of the cheerful assistance and prompt obedience I have experienced from you, under every vicissitude of fortune, and the sincere affection I feel for an army I have so long had the honor to command, will oblige me to declare, in this public and solemn manner, that in the attainment of complete justice for all your toils and dangers, and in the gratification of every wish, 
so far as may be done consistently with the great duty I owe my country and those powers we are bound to respect, you may freely command my services to the utmost of my abilities. While I give you these assurances, and pledge myself in the most unequivocal manner to exert whatever ability I am possessed of in your favor, let me entreat you, gentlemen, on your part, not to take any measures which, viewed in the calm light of reason, will lessen the dignity and sully the glory you have hitherto maintained. Let me request you to rely on the plighted faith of your country, and place a full confidence in the purity of the intentions of Congress, that, previous to your dissolution as an army, they will cause all your accounts to be fairly liquidated, as directed in their resolutions, which were published to you two days ago, and that they will adopt the most effectual measures in their power to render ample justice to you for your faithful and meritorious services. And let me conjure you in the name of our common country, as you value your own sacred honor, as you respect the rights of humanity, and as you regard the military and national character of America, to express your utmost horror and detestation of the man who wishes, under any specious pretenses, to overturn the liberties of our country, and who wickedly attempts to open the floodgates of civil discord and deluge our rising empire in blood. By thus determining and thus acting, you will pursue the plain and direct road to the attainment of your wishes. You will defeat the insidious designs of our enemies, who are compelled to resort from open force to secret artifice. You will give more distinguished proof of unexampled patriotism and patient virtue, rising superior to the pressure of the most complicated sufferings. And you will, by the dignity of your conduct, afford occasion for posterity to say, when speaking of the glorious example you have exhibited to mankind, had this day been wanting, the world had never seen the last stage of perfection to which human nature is capable of attaining. At that point, Washington paused. A restlessness and quiet pervaded the air. These men still didn't have the answer they needed, and they stared at him tensely. Washington then produced a letter from a congressman and announced its content explaining the financial difficulties of the government so the men could hear Congress's side of the issue. He unfolded the paper and started to read it slowly, fumbling over the words, then stopped. Something was wrong. The general seemed lost, slightly confused. The men leaned further forward. Washington then reached into his coat pocket and took out something his men had never seen him use, a pair of reading glasses. Few of them knew he even wore glasses and were surprised. Gentlemen, said Washington, you will permit me to put on my spectacles, for I have not only grown gray, but almost blind in the service of my country. In that single moment of sheer vulnerability, Washington's men were deeply moved, even shamed, and many were quickly in tears now looking with great affection at this aging man who had led them through so much. Washington read the remainder of the letter, then left without saying another word, realizing their sentiments. His officers then cast a unanimous vote, essentially agreeing to the rule of Congress. George Washington had saved the country from an armed rebellion. Thus, 
the civilian government was preserved, and the experiment of democracy in America continued. Thomas Jefferson later said of this, The moderation and virtue of a single character probably prevented this revolution from being closed, as most others have been, by the subversion of that liberty it was intended to establish. Thanks for joining us at 1001 Classic Short Stories and Tales. You can catch all our episodes at iTunes Podcast App, as well as podbay.fm, stitcher.com, audioboom.com, iHeartRadio, and just about anywhere podcasts are found. Our show is weekly and usually premieres every Sunday night at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. We're part of a growing 1001 Stories podcast network, and we invite you to enjoy our sister show, 1001 Heroes, Legends, Histories, and Mysteries, at all the same locations. Our Facebook page is facebook.com forward slash 1001 Heroes, and our Twitter address is at 1001 Podcast. Just go to 1001storiespodcast.com. We really are shooting for 1001 episodes, and when we get there, that sign we use will change to 2001. It continues to be a fantastic journey for us, and we appreciate each and every one of you who listen, review, and share our shows. We just celebrated 2 million listens since we started, and it's all thanks to you. This is your host and storyteller, John Hagedorn, and this is our story.